0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Thank you very much for joining me. My name is Deborah Hatswell, and you're listening to BBR Investigations. Tonight, I will bring you the continuation of the personal experiences that were sent in to me by Tony Jacobs. And if you tuned into last week's podcast, you'll know who Tony is and the hotel that he's talking about. Now, you can find a link to that episode below. But for anyone new tuning in, here's a short recap of events. In 1974, Tony moved into the village of Bishop's Cleve, which is in the borough of Tewkesbury, Gloucestershire, and it's situated just north of Cheltenham. The village lies at the foot of Cleve Hill, which is the highest point in the Cotswolds. Tony was living with his parents and at a loose end when his mother, who was a chambermaid at the Ellenborough Park Hotel, told Tony about a night porter's job that he might be interested in. Even on the day of the interview, the hotel revealed one of its local spooks. As Tony walked through the hotel to attend the interview, one of the hotel's heavy Tudor doors began to swing open and shut as if by its own accord. It did this repeatedly. When Tony pointed this out to his mum, she explained it away as it probably just be in the wind. Now, Tony asked if the hotel was haunted. As the porter position would mean he would spend long hours by himself overnight in the building, and his mum assured him it was not. Tony was still unsure, but the need for employment far outweighed any nervousness on Tony's behalf. Tony stated, The hotel is a 38-bedroomed establishment with three bars. It has the dining room, the great hall and the restaurant. We have a kitchen, reception, staff rooms and, of course, many storerooms. Most of the inside of the hotel was still in its original form, as in Tudor times. I found it to be a really atmospheric place, he said. There was an underground tunnel, which led under the lawn and went down to a gazebo in the garden. The hall was complete with its own stables, carriage house, again, all Tudor to the core." The hotel was formerly known as the della Bar and is now known by its new name of Ellenborough Park Hotel. Tony said, to give some context and explain a little bit more about myself, I'm a natural clairvoyant, which was not my choosing, and I do not follow that path any longer. I've studied the history of the place over the years. The man who built the Tudor Hall eventually became the Sheriff of Gloucester. Seated at the foot of Cleve Hill, which has Sudbury Castle upon it. Sudbury is Henry VIII's castle. So I believe that this house was a staging house where Tudor dignitaries waited to be called for an audience with the King, or far worse. All will become clear as I try to put the events in words as best that I can, but I'm no scholar or author. After my greeting on the morning of my interview by the spook playing with the door, I felt it was doing it to catch my attention. I started work at the hotel with some trepidation, which is understandable, and so I spent my first night alone in the hotel for an entire night. It was so quiet that I could hear a mouse running from the entrance door that he squeezed under. I heard it as it's made up its way along the carpet towards me, where I was sitting behind the reception desk and the switchboard. The mouse turned to the right and galloped along the reception carpet and disappeared under the cocktail bar doors. Now it did that at 1pm every night, like clockwork, and now I'm not sure, even if it was a flesh and blood mouse. My duties were to patrol the hotel every hour and turn off any lights left on in the various rooms. I also had to man the switchboard and look after the guests. For all my apprehension, It turned out it was an uneventful night, of which I was glad. It was a spooky place with a strange atmosphere, of that there was no doubt. Days went by and I settled into the job and I started to get a feel of the place. Only one event happened while I was working nights and that was shortly after I started there. I went as usual on my rounds to turn off the lights in the gas bar. I walked back into the main dining room where the toggle light switch was situated. It was in the far corner of the seating area on the wall. I made my way to the switch and reached out to flick it. And as my finger got to within half an inch or so from the switch, it flicked off on its own, which made me jump. And I became angry too at the same time. I went towards the light in the passageway, calling that spirit every French swear word I knew, as the hall was called the So it seemed to make sense that it was a French spook that was mocking me. At the time, of course, I hadn't researched the hotel's history, of which I delved into when the internet became public a decade later. The only other occurrences were the kitchen doors. They would swing and they would open and close on their own. They were solid, original oak doors, and they were to the left of the reception desk. On one night, there was a loud noise. You could hear boom, 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 as if someone was pounding on the door. And I thought, I'm not opening that. It sounded like a sword hilt or something was being used to bang on the solid door. So I made my way 20 feet to the door to the kitchen, where I could look into the bistro restaurant which is just behind the reception wall. I couldn't see anyone in there. I turned on the lights, I made a quick search, but I found nobody messing about or playing a trick or pranking me or anything like that. I also caught some movement when I was sitting at the desk. I saw it to my right hand side through the glass panelling, and it was between the reception and the public bar. Now sometimes the bell in the tower would ring and it would ring at odd hours of the night and some guest or other would call down and complain about it. I'd go and investigate it, but I never saw anything that could be the cause. One very important reason that the bell should not ring is that there was no rope attached to the bell for somebody to pull. I put it down to the waiters climbing over the roof to get back in after a night out in Cheltenham. I had strict instructions not to let any staff in after midnight, because of all the junk and jollity, shall I say. So they climbed their way back in. I just put the bell down to that. After a few weeks, they engaged a proper night porter, and I thought my employment at the hotel was at an end. But the manager asked if I wanted to transfer to days. The wages offered were not bad, and with tips and it being the daytime, I thought it was a better option as there would be the added bonus of no more spooky stuff. Little did I know that the best was yet to be experienced. I learned so much in one meeting when I had a face-to-face chat with the spirit. It sent me into a research frenzy into the spirit world. The lady in the royal blue dress. My first days working at the hotel on the day shift was uneventful and I felt completely at ease, but the door swinger was still fresh in my mind. So I was nervous, but kind of excited at the same time about what might be living here besides the staff. The sun was shining, it was warming up, so how could anything spooky happen in the daytime? I was so very wrong. About the second week that I was working there, the assistant manager, a guy in his late 40s, asked me to fetch a sack truck to get some bottles of spirits to restock the guest bar. And if you look at the photo of the front of the house, you'll see the arched entrance reception To the left is the bay window of the public bar, and further left is the spirit cellar room. I say this to give you a look at where this experience happened, as I pulled a satchel with boxes of bottles across the gravel towards the guest bar at the right-hand side of the house, I saw something. The assistant manager was a few yards ahead of me, and as I passed the bay window to the bar, I looked in to see the barman talking to a customer. To the right of them, in plain view of the barman's eyesight, who clearly saw nothing of the scene I was seeing, it took my breath away. I was looking at a large oak table and sitting on either side of the table were two women, one of which I have never seen before or since, but she had the most beautiful face I have ever seen. I cannot to this day describe what that means to anyone else, I was astounded at what to me Looked like a woman with perfect looks. The spectacle was breathtaking. This was not a lady from our present day. What I was looking at in my mind was a vision from 500 years ago. I was peering into a glimpse of Tudor life. Real history. Because that dress that I was looking at is not one that the history books talk about. I've never seen the clothing she was wearing in historical books or in artwork. The beautiful woman was of high standing, her status shown by the royal blue dress that she wore. This color, in those times, could only be worn by royals and members of the court. So, knights, ladies-in-waiting, that kind of thing. She sat sideways onto me, looking in through the window, and from head to toe, this is what I saw. Her hair was in a large bun at the back, and it was held in place by a fine net, and at the sides of her hair, it was curved. Leftovers. Or the DMV. Number 97. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void be prohibited by law. 18 plus terms See website for details. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Almost in a headphone style with this swirl bun over each of her ears. The dress design that I was looking at had a puffy shoulder and the sleeves were tied onto the bonnet with blue silk rhythm. And at the wrist, the sleeve hung down in a triangle. The top of the sleeve went into an over i would say arrowhead shape at the top of her hand reaching to the knuckles of her fingers the gown was made of blue velvet that was finely stitched in gold thread it had a belt and it reached to her feet which were hidden from my gaze the two women were leaning into each other across the table a friend or lady in waiting or whatever station she held was not as finely dressed as the other lady she had a green velvet gown with the same tie-on attachment of the sleeves. Her hair was plaited into a bun at the back of her head. And the high-class lady kept turning her head away from me. She was whispering to her friend. She did this several times, as though not wanting to be overheard. I assumed the conversation was a confidential one. And this is when I saw her face. She turned slightly and she was looking straight towards me. Wow! I could now see clearly that their eyes were black, completely black with no white of the eye showing at all. It was then that I knew it was spirit I was seeing. She and her companion looked very worried. I could now see the front of the dress as she turned her waist as well as her head to look my way. I realised she was not looking at me, but she seemed to be looking off into the distance. Besides the black eyes, she had the cutest face I have ever seen. Her hair must have reached way down below her shoulders when unpinned. It was only so neat because of the amount of styling that she'd had. From the front view, her hair was plaited and had pearls woven into it, with a large pearl in the centre of her forehead, and then strings of pearl were woven through the plaits at the side of her head to her ears. She had a royal blue French skullcap on top of her hair. And around the neck was a heavy gold chain, which reached down to a diaphragm area. It had a large, diamond-shaped green gemstone, and it was framed in gold. And when I say large, I mean the gem was two inches at a guesstimate. Each of her fingers had a ring on it, including her thumbs. And the rings looked to be a mixture of diamonds, rubies and sapphires. She, to me, oozed royalty. But what astounded me the most, and why I say that the historical Tudor dress of that day was wrong, is the gown she was wearing was in a square-cut design which showed her neck and her chest. And this is the astounding part. I could see her nipples exposed over the dress. After researching, I could only find a 13th century reference to women's wear of that day, where they had the whole of their breasts exposed. She also wore a two-inch white pleated ruff around her neck and she was such an amazing spectacle to see. The companion also had a ruff but it was of a duller white colour and she only had one small diamond looking ring on her wedding finger. At this point, I turned to the manager and said, quick, look at this. But when I looked back, they were gone. I felt sad. I wanted to see more. He replied, what is it? I said, oh, nothing, but he said, no, what did you see? So I told him, and that started the ridiculing of the experience because news flies fast around hotel staff. But I stood my ground, and I rebuked the piss-taking. Even my mum said, you're seeing things. You know, if a ghost had slapped my mum in the face, she'd have said it was something else, and she'd have had an excuse to debunk it. As for me, I felt elated. I'd seen way back into history. The two women were very worried looking and nervously chatting and watching around them. I looked at every painting of female dignitaries that I could find, starting with Henry VIII's wives and lovers, where information was available. What an ugly bunch they were too. Even the poorest of eyes could not possibly paint this woman ugly. So wanting to find out who she was in life, I trolled the internet for years on and off, And it still tugs at me today to find out who she was, if she was once alive, or was I being duped by a gorgeous-looking demon? I could have just put it down to the lady of residence, Lady Huddleston, wife of John, the steward of Sudley Castle, but I didn't see why she would be so worried in her own home. So I'll never get answers to those questions. Next, I relate a Germanic-sounding conversation that I overheard in the gents of all places plus an experience that happened to a young lady who was working a uni break at the hall when she saw a jester. Voices in the gents. They'd been asked to put some cleaning fluid into the gents' toilets, which are situated away from the reception. You had to walk through a lone stone archway along the passageway and the doors into the loos were of the swing type. One door led from the passage and then you pushed open the second door to the loo. As I opened the first door, I heard two male voices that were busy in conversation, and it sounded as though there was some action or other meaning somehow. I could not catch the words, but I got the feeling that came with them. Something was afoot, simply by their forceful, gruff exchange of words. The voices sounded like a German accent, but I could not understand it. It could have been Norman for all I know, but it was not German that I would recognize. And then we would understand even English back then, I don't think. I doubt that we would. Anyway, as I stood listening to this exchange of raised voices, one of the waiters passed by the top of the passage and I caught his attention and gestured him to come. And when he reached me, I said, Can you hear that? And he replied, Yes, it's two Germans. And he went and pushed open the second door, at which point the voices stopped abruptly. I said, Now take the piss out of me. You just heard that, didn't you? And he looked at me as though I was doing it. He was a jack lad type and I could see his mind trying to make sense of it and not wanting to admit he'd heard the conversation between two unseen men. His attempt to keep his ego intact was, it's just them from kitchen. And he fumbled this explanation because the kitchens were indeed on the other side of the party or from the toilet's. He gave me an accusing look and went back to his work. Word soon got around and I was approached by Manager Coombs who instructed me not to talk of these things as the hotel did not need a reputation as a haunted place. I replied, then you may wish to change the guests on arrival brochure which on the reverse tells the tale of the grey lady that's been seen in the gardens on occasion of which he had no clue about. So off he went to check a brochure. The language being spoken in the gents' toilet was not a garbled ghost language. It was clear and audibly understandable, but it was being spoken in a language I did not recognise. Taking into account things that I've so far witnessed, I felt that like something unpleasant had taken place on more than one occasions at this house. The court jester. It was summertime when the teenage girl came to work as a general assistant at the hall. She did this during a break from uni. I'd not been introduced to the girl until Mr Coombs asked me to go with her to the great hall and check that the decorations for Christmas were in good order. The decorations were stood in boxes and at the top of a covered seating area in one corner of the hall. I went and fetched a stepladder to climb on top. To the left and about 15 feet or so above the ground was a minstrel's gallery and access to it was gained via a stone circle that had an enclosed staircase, and it went round in a circle upwards. The rest of the room was a large square space with access to the dining room through a disguised door in a red velvet padded dividing wall. Well, Alas was on top of the structure, and I'm standing on the steps, taking the boxes that she's passed to me. I'd then go on down the steps, place the boxes on the floor, repeat. Within a couple of minutes of us starting to move the boxes, The girl let out a piercing scream, which made me jump as she burst into tears. I asked her, what's wrong? She replied that she'd just seen an ugly, humpback dwarf dressed in full jester garb and he was smiling and waving at her. Then Mr Coombs arrived and said, not you again, meaning me. I had just about had enough of being blamed for the spooks and the strange happenings around here and I told him, in no uncertain terms, that it was nothing to do with me, and that she had seen something, blah, blah, blah. He said, well, I'll put down and get her a coffee. And she was clearly shaking with fear. So I comforted her by saying, I think you're lucky to have seen him, as not everyone could, and it didn't harm you, did it? Well, she had decided that she could not work here and put in her notice straight away. I asked her the following day to describe what she'd seen, and she said, the jester was dry, brightly dressed, she said, with a similar fashion as you see in the movies, etc. Even down to the funny hat they had with bells on. She said it disappeared when she screamed. I would have loved to have seen it, but my back was towards the gallery. This must have been a very important house at times. More important than the scant and dubious history gives it. It must have been home of someone very wealthy, having a, its own jester. A woman of high status dripping with gold and pearls and gems, etc. The new girl left at the end of the next day as her nerves were wrecked. Of course, I was now a weirdo We made weird shit happen. I found it quite funny that they thought that I was the cause of the disturbance. Even my own mum thought I was a bit, no, bit off normal. Little did they know that I myself was having second thoughts about working there. Although I was intrigued, it was on my mind all day what might appear or happen and it was starting to have an effect on me. I was glad when the assistant manager opened up and told me about an experience that he had in his room at the hotel. The assistant manager said he woke in the middle of the night to see a large, tall, dark figure that was standing at the door in his room. This experience really scared him. And as I was off shift and at home at the time, he couldn't blame it on me. He apologised for doubting my sanity and said that he was thinking of going back to Scotland. He was really that spooked. Earlier, I mentioned the lady in grey in the brochure in the guest rooms. I thought that I saw the, the grey lady once when I was outside late one night patrolling the grounds. But it was just the boss's wife, who was a bit of a drinker, and she was brewing in the roses in a nightdress. My final encounter... And the most harrowing but greatly informative Put the nail in the coffin for me working there There were the general door knocks And whispers in my ear Footsteps going, you know, moving frequently around me I just chose to ignore all of that The spook certainly did like me And I don't believe that they were out to scare me But this last encounter made up my mind to leave Face to face with the dead Let me explain my last encounter at the wonderfully spooky Delabar Hotel. A house changed hands several times after Sir John Huddleston died in 1545. I believe the spirit was a former schoolmaster at the Oriel Private Girls' School, formerly the home of the Huddleston family. The school opened in 1947 and it closed around 1917 and then it became the Delabar Hotel. It was late summer now and I'd been asked to fetch some logs from the stores from the dining room fire, so off I went to the, get the sack truck. Taking a short cross through the bistro while it was quiet, I approached the doorway at the end of the store's passage. When I heard leather shoes with taps on, and they were coming along the passage towards me, I thought nothing of it, moved aside to allow whoever it was to pass me. A man soon appeared at the doorway. He stepped onto the carpet, walked across the bistro floor, and stopped when I said, excuse me, sir, let me move out of your way. And he was dressed smartly in a soft woolen button-up cardigan. He had light light grey trousers, a shirt and tie, brown brogue shoes. He carried a folded up Sun newspaper under his left arm. His head was bowed and looked as solid to me as you are. I thought he must be a guest who'd come in the wrong way after fetching his paper. He immediately said, in almost an order type request, what time is it? And I answered and said, it's 8.30, sir. And he asked, a.m. or p.m.? And I told him, a.m., sir. And this is how the conversation went on. He said, you can see me? And I said, yes, of course. He said, but I can't see you. I can sense you there. Raising his head at the same time, his voice became softer with his speech, but oh my god, as his head rose, a terrible stench came from his mouth, causing me to hold my breath. A sickening to my belly stink of which I never wished to have to breathe or smell ever again. At the same time, I found myself looking into matte, black eye sockets. There was a dark, black, smoky billowing going on inside them, and this scared me a lot. His voice sounded weird and it sounded like he was speaking through phlegm, not at all natural sounding. I was but three feet from him, and on looking intently, I could see that his form was moving. It segmented and moved about like a small oblong jigsaw pieces shuffling around, around and around and through each other. Now, I've seen this before, twice later in life, he said. One was an animal of sorts. Plus on one occurrence from several years back, it was a piece of pasture outside Wotton Bassett's window. It was very strange. Seeing this gent do the same thing was really scary. But I manned up and I stayed right where I was. He went on to say, I must be getting better then if you can see me. I see other people here but they will not talk to me. They ignore me as though I'm not here. I did not have the bottle to tell him he was dead. He then walked past me a moment later as the assistant manager was on the scene asking me to bring this and that from the stores. I was dismayed that the guy was nowhere to be seen. I said, where's that guy gone? And my manager said, what guy? And then quipped, are you seeing things again? And that was it. I was ready to leave this place for good. So this is what I learned from this encounter. The fashion of his clothes were within keeping of, say, the 1960s. The Sun newspaper began in 69. His ordered request was almost like that of a schoolmaster asking a pupil a question. Now the school was still open in the 60s, so we deduced he'd been a teacher or a head there. Something I'd like to pass on is the message that spooks are blind. and can't see us, but they can see each other. They can sense our presence. They have no idea what the time is, day or night. Was he a wicked person in life? as the other spooks did not acknowledge or speak to him at all? and was it that they just couldn't understand his words, just as I couldn't understand the words of the people and the gents? Which, to me, backs up thoughts on these gents being Norman or other foreigners. The man I spoke to could sense people from a distance because he disappeared when my boss turned up. I was well pissed off with the manager turning up, I remember thinking, how much more could I have learned from this guy? I put my notice in a couple of weeks later. I did a massive amount of research in years to come with the onset of the net. But even back in the internet days, it was hard to find out much on the real history of the Tudor Huddleston junior family. I couldn't find out anything. I did follow up on research in the spirit world. I visited a couple of spiritual churches and I wasn't impressed at all. During my searches, I did meet one real clairvoyant who told me things about myself that would have been impossible to know, and she impressed me with what she told me. I did live in Cheltenham. I went back in two thousand and seven for a couple of years, but the town's not the same. It it never is when you go back somewhere you had a good life in the past, does it? I emailed a hotel manager to ask if I could visit and walk around the interior for a couple of hours. And of course, I'd explained about working there, etc. I never got a reply, but I did not know then that it was being ripped apart and renovated. I found out the hotel had shut down in 2008. Wow, if only I'd known, I would have been there in a flash the day after it closed down. Being older and fully spiritually experienced now for decades. What an awesome return visit that could have been. I emailed again a couple of years back after finding out again that it was open for business. But again I received no reply. Hoteliers are scared to death that their hotel could be haunted. I remember an American guest phoning down reception at 2am. He asked me he was walking along the corridor outside his door as it was disturbing him. And I said, I do not know sir, the house is completely asleep except for me. He said, Are you telling me it's haunted then? And I replied, I did not say that, sir. Good night. And now I would not have missed my time there for anything in the world, even given how unnerving it was at times. It was an awesome house and it had awesome spirits. But that BS put about by some fake mediums that, you know, the fabric of the building holds these events is ridiculous. I would go and stay there for a weekend just to see what happened. But I'd not enjoy seeing what they've done to the interior. I've never seen any other reports on the house and its occupants, but there must be a lot of them out there, surely, from the school alone. I'd love to see the hedge report books of daily events at the school. You know, I'm 70 in March, so I might just go and stay for the weekend. I hope my ticker doesn't give out, and I might join them there. I did some digging in newspaper articles, doing what I do. And among the paranormal groups, I did find that in the last three years alone, a number of people have complained to management about supernatural events when staying at the hall. So Tony's right. Room 56 is reportedly haunted by Lady Ellenborough. In the last three years, 13 people have complained about a presence. Ellenbrook Park is an exceptional five-star Tudor manor house, and it's said to have The spirits of a former nanny, a matron that would patrol the grounds, and the area of Pitville was once investigated by the Society of Paranormal Research due to the alleged sightings of a woman dressed in black, and that became known as the Martin case, and the woman was reportedly be seen by numerous people in the 1980s. Was it Tony himself who made the hall come to life? Hundreds of members of staff had worked there, including his own mother, over the years. But it was Tony whose attention they wanted from that very first incident, the banging and slamming of that door. But let's look further. It's serendipitous that his mum worked there and he just managed to get a job there. Life seems to have a way of doing that. If you have these abilities, it seems to put you in a place where you can use them. Those spooks were silent with no voice for centuries until Tony came along. I think Tony would have stood out like a beacon of light to the poor folk left behind in there. I don't agree with this thing about fabric being, you know, things getting stuck in the fabric. Everything is energy, and energy holds memory. So some of us can pick up on that. And for some, it's very fleeting and and mystery. And for others, it's incredibly real and solid. Was the lady in the blue dress a mistress of Henry? I mean, she certainly seemed to be of great standing and status due to what she was wearing, and to have a maiden waiting suggests she was a member of the court. Old Henry was not a sign for sore eyes, but in his youth it is said that he was handsome and courted women in all corners of his realms. We know some of them due to history, but I'm sure there are many who have never even made the historical books. Henry was said to have fathered children with some of his concubines and mistresses. So many royal bastards who never made it to court should be in line for the throne are probably walking around in that building, if not in Sudbury Castle. The Germanic speech is fascinating and it tells of a time when us modern Brits would not be familiar with the English language. It was made up of several European languages. English then would have sounded very different to how we speak it now were these men knights or dignitaries discussing some royal plot or soldiers of henry's guard talking amongst themselves the old schoolmaster made me smile i once asked my parents if we were each other's ghosts know, <laughs> not really a question that they could answer she asked me why and i said due to the things that you say you know as a child and now I believe that not all hauntings are the dead wanting to be known. Some are spirits that are trapped here others choose to say. We also have fleeting glances of energy that is stored in the vault of time. And each timeline intercrosses with others, intermingles. And some of us can tune into that wavelength for a small, short time. And I think that that's probably what's happening with Tony. I leave you to contemplate your own thoughts on tonight's haunting experiences. Last week, I spoke about a young lady called Holly, who lives in the Shetland Isles. And Holly spoke about her encounters with the unexplained. She had a number of camping incidents where something on two legs walked around the tent. And the old tale of giant folk who would watch the lambing from the hill. I'll bring you Holly's experiences next Saturday at 8pm and I've had some new ones come in this week and I'll bring them for you also. I'd like to say thank you to all of our listeners, whether it's on the podcast or YouTube, our members and a massive shout out to my patrons. Without you, the work here at BBR would not be possible. I'll be here on Tuesday with the uh, Live Feed with Deb um, and we'll be doing a Q&A. We couldn't go ahead with it last week, I'm afraid. We had technical problems. And I will be back next Saturday to talk to you all in the chat. Good night, everyone.